going on, everybody? Yes, this is a Coach's Challenge. We are back. I am your host, Andrew Daly. Before, we took a little hiatus there for a couple months. Man, we had a great following on Twitter. Make sure you guys go follow us on that, at challenge underscore cast. Uh, go like our Facebook page, a Coach's Challenge podcast. If you like what we're doing, hit like and subscribe on all the major podcasting platforms. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and a ton of others. Uh, really excited to kind of dive back into this. I know there's been a lot going on over the past couple months. we got a great lineup coming up for you guys. I'm really curious to see how other programs have kind of handled you know, their situation individually. So sit back, relax, man, enjoy. You're listening to a Coach's Challenge. That's right. We're back with another episode of a Coach's Challenge here today. Another great coach lined up. Uh, this guy's a 12-year coaching veteran. Uh, been, you know, all over the country. Uh, currently, he's the quarterback coach at Columbia University. Uh, welcome to the show, and thanks for being on, Coach Ryan Larson. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. I'm excited to, to kind of dive in and, and, and get to, you know, know some things about you and, and kind of about where you've been. Uh, first of all, you graduated from, and correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but Claremont McKenna College. Oh uh, yeah, Claire, Claremont McKenna. Yeah, okay. Claremont, Claremont McKenna, McKenna in, in, in California. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about your playing career and, and you know how that how that was experience was for you and kind of when you knew you wanted to to get into coaching. Yeah, um, I knew I wanted to be a coach in fifth grade, um, so real early, and I always thought that I wanted to be a high school coach. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'd gone through high school. And really thought, you know, hey, I'm going to go to college and we'll play college ball. Um, I'm going to get my degree. Uh, I'm going to go and work at a high school, be a teacher. Uh, and so that was kind of my focus. Um, and so because of that, the reason why I picked Claremont was, you know, I, I very much had a mindset and a process in, in my head that was, hey, I'm going to go to the best academic school I can get into and play mm-hmm. football. You know, that was kind of my thought process. I knew I wasn't going to play in the NFL. You know, I knew I was a D3 quarterback, you know, I'm, I'm 5'11", six foot. So I knew my road playing-wise was going to end, um, but I wanted to coach. And so I got to college, I got to Claremont, and, um, you know, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Chicago and Indiana, and I went to boarding school in Ohio and ended up all the way outside of Los Angeles and for college. And um, I really fell in love with how the college game is just a little bit different. Um, the relationships that you have with coaches, with your teammates, you know, everyone's kind of always going through the same thing together, whether it's your first time away from home or you know, your first college camp. And so um, I really kind of fell in love with the college game and my quarterback coach, um, who was also my OC and he was the one that recruited me, you know, kind of became a big mentor of mine and really kind of turned me on to the idea of coaching in college and so uh, that's kind of where I, I shifted gears and said, you know, this is actually, uh, I want to coach in college and this is what I want to try to do when I graduate. So that was sure. So I, correct. I mean, I might've missed it in there, but what drew you originally to coaching in high school? Was it, did, did you want to be a teacher or how'd that go? I always just loved the game. And, you know, I think the one thing is when you, when you grow up as a football player, a youth football player, you know, high school is kind of the, you know, the pinnacle, that's what you're thinking about. Sure, you know? yeah. And then you get there. And if you're lucky enough to be, you know, 
able to get recruited by a college and play beyond, that's great. And so I kind of always had that in my mind. And I, and I had a really great high school coach um, at the boarding school I went to. And, you know, he, he was a great mentor to me as well um, mm-hmm. in high school. And, and, and just, I think that the consistent theme with me is there was just really great mentorship and support at different levels. And when I got to those levels, it opened me up. So, you know, I got to high school and had a great mentor, made me want to be a high school coach. And I got to college and had a great college, you know, coach. And that opened me up to one in college. And so I think that we're all kind of a product of the people we're around. And right. that's kind of why I kind of, kind of kept getting drawn to being a coach. And, and coach, who, what, who was that for you? Like, who were some of your biggest influences that, you know, that got you into, into coaching? So my college quarterback coach, offensive coordinator is a guy named Brent Bear. Um, mm-hmm. Still lives out in Southern California. Um, you know, he he was very instrumental in me kind of you know taking that college mindset. Um, and then there were a couple people in the state of Indiana where I grew up that were really important. Um, I used to go to as a camper and work as a camper or after uh, being a camper uh, camp called Bishop Dullahan Camps and Dick mm-hmm. Dullahan, who's a you know Hall of Fame high school coach. Um, ran and owned those camps and he, and he really kind of taught me the fundamentals of the game and how, you know, this is really teaching, you know, everything is teaching and coaching. Um, and then I mentioned my high school head coach, Pat Smith, um, you know, who really invested in me as an all around kind of student athlete and opened my eyes to, you know, amazing colleges and opportunities uh, across the country. And so he was really, you know, really, really helpful in my process. So those were a couple guys early. And then obviously when I got into my coaching career, there were some guys that really, really, you know, were huge in my development, huge in, in being mentors and, you know, helping me grow in, in multiple ways, not just scheme, but sure. you know, how to coach and, and everything like that. And we'll kind of, we'll kind of go through, uh, you know, your stops here. So, uh, now, obviously, at, you're at Columbia now, but you know, uh, you've been at other high academic institutions. Were you a good Were you a good student in high school, or college, or what? <laughs> I uh, I worked really hard. You know, I I, um, I worked really hard in high school. Um, I wasn't always, you know, the the smartest guy in the class, and mm-hmm. um, but I was really really fortunate. I, I never can thank my parents enough. I I was fortunate enough to go to you know really great. Uh, you know, prep school, boarding school in Ohio um, called Western Reserve Academy. Um, you know, that was an amazing academic experience, although unique, you know, because you're away from home. So it's it's like college and high school. Um, but that helped, you know, grow me up a lot. <laughs> to taught me how to mature um, pretty quickly. And then um, Claremont is a, you know, it's always ranked a, you know, top tier liberal arts school. And so yet again, really lucky academically. I think both of those examples I wasn't the smartest person at those places, but I, but I loved almost that, that challenge, just like athletics to, to compete, you know, compete in sure, classroom and, and do well. And there was always people around me that were much smarter, but they were pushing me to be better. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got my master's in Indiana when I started coaching and um, that was kind of the end of my academic side of the career. Mm-hmm. Um, but yet again, just, you know, it, it was another amazing opportunity to kind of grow you know, outside of football. Um, but I think it all comes back into football in some way, shape or form. Well, definitely. And, you know, you mentioned coming back to football and, and getting your master's at Indiana, you work a couple of years at Indiana, uh, in the big 10 as a, uh, you know, as a quality control assistant, uh, talk a little bit about, you know, how that job was and how that experience kind of helped mold you into becoming a better coach and a better person, just, 
you know, being in a role like that? Yeah. So I graduated from Claremont and started at Indiana two weeks later. Um, I was fortunate enough. The head coach at the time was a man named Bill Lynch. Um, and Bill had actually recruited me out of high school when he was the head coach at DePaul University, which is a D3 school in Indiana. And I'd kept that communication kind of open with him um, throughout my college career. And uh, he told me, you know, hey, you graduate, you want to be a coach, you can get into grad school here at Indiana, let me know. And so that's what I did. I got into grad school. Um, I actually flew out on spring break of my uh, senior year in high school to a spring ball practice, um, met him on the field, said, hey, coach, I got in, you know, can I work for free? Nice. Um, and he said yes. And so I, uh, I worked for a whole year for free as an intern. Mm-hmm. And really my mentality the whole time was I'm going to get, you know, my master's in sports, you know, administration, athletic administration, but I'm also going to get my master's in football. Sure. Uh, so I was just living in the office. I mean, I, I was determined to always be the first one in the last one out. Um, there was nothing I wasn't willing to do, um, work wise for anyone. Uh, I didn't care. You know, I, I was, I was gravitated and working on the offensive side of the ball, but, um, if recruiting letters needed to be folded, if, you know, itineraries needed to be put together, you know, whatever it was, I was willing to do it. And after doing that for a year, um, Bill, you know, promoted me to uh, offensive quality control position, which was a paid position, um, you know, and, and obviously gave me more responsibility. But it was funny because, to be honest with you, the, the last two or three months before I was officially given that position, you know, I was doing all the work for that position. They kind of were, you know, testing me um, trial by fire. And uh, I was really fortunate to work with some really amazing coaches at Indiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, unfortunately, like a lot of things in, you know, the FBS level, if you don't, you don't win enough, people get fired. That's just right. part of the deal. And that's what happened. We had a coaching change. And so that was an opportunity for me to move on. But my time there, I was mentored by Bill. I was mentored by Matt Canada, who now is with uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers as the quarterback coach. But I know a lot of people know his time at LSU. Yeah, definitely. Pitt. Um, you know, and we were very different in Indiana than, than what he's doing and has been doing because of our personnel. Um, but just to be a fly on the wall and work there, you know, we had an O-line coach there named Bobby Johnson, um, who has been in the NFL the last few years. He's actually with the Bills now, uh, receivers coach um, at Northwestern University. Dennis Springer was our running backs coach. So there were some really, really good sure, so coaches on this staff that people didn't really realize. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I'm, 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 you know, missing people for sure. There was other yeah, guys. And he but, touched on it, coach, and you kind of, you know, you had the right mentality there. Um, you're, you're folding recruiting letters. You're putting together itineraries. It's kind of whatever it takes attitude, man. And I'm sure that went a long way because uh, guys noticed that and, and your willingness to work. So it's a really great teaching point for everybody who's listening out there. Kind of uh, we talked about it in some other podcasts, you know, putting your ego aside and just doing what needs to be done and, and getting it done and, and not asking questions. So. Like I said, I'm sure that went a long way with with the guys who you were working for. Um, moving on, you said that there was a coaching change. Uh, you go to Wabash, pronouncing that correct, college for a Wabash, year. Wabash, yeah, Wabash, Wabash. College, yep. You're, you, you coach receivers, man. You guys have a, a really great year offensively. Uh, and then you find yourself over in Memphis at uh, Rhodes College mm-hmm. uh, in, in Tennessee. Highly academic. Uh, beautiful campus. Fun fact, I actually interviewed there, I think, after you left. But okay. uh, 
talk about your years at Rhodes and, and what that was like, you know, um, kind of recruiting D3 players that had exceptional like academic standards and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, Rhodes was, you know, uh, an unbelievable experience for me in multiple ways. Um, you know, one of the things that it did that, you know, has most definitely helped me in, in my current position is exactly that recruiting, you know, high academic kids, mm-hmm. um, being on a national model, you know, recruiting wise and, and, and kind of scouring the country for the right fit. Um, Cause you're looking for a kid that fits academically and athletically and socially, um, so you're looking for all those things. So that was, you know, really helpful that I find now in this job, you know, when you talk about early decision and, you know, all the things you're doing recruiting wise. Um, so that was really important. Um, you know, I'd be remiss to say the most important part of my time in Memphis is when I met my wife. She worked at Rhodes, too. Uh, she was actually a college coach as well at the time. Nice. Yep. Um, she was coaching field hockey. And, um, you know, it was it was a great experience to, to live in Memphis. Memphis is still somewhere that's really, you know, close to us. I'm, I'm still close to a lot of people at Rhodes. Um, what I started to really love about that job, um, and I experienced this at Wabash as well, but when you're working with kids that are in a high academic atmosphere, you know, they're, they're very self-motivated. They want to be great athletically, mm-hmm. they want to be great academically. And, and so that that's a fun kid to coach. You know, it's a really fun kid to coach. Um, because they're they're just so driven in so many ways and um, from a personal standpoint you know professionally you know I, I was you know 25 years old and a pass game coordinator and an OC two years later at, at 27 and so um, you know really grateful to get those opportunities as a young guy you know not a lot of guys get those opportunities so young and for me, that was really awesome because I, I, I learned <laughs> yeah. um, from mistakes quickly and, sure. and you start to look at the whole picture quickly. Um, and that was really good for me coaching wise as I, you know, took my next steps on to Stevenson. And then obviously now at Columbia is you, the faster you have to look at the bigger picture, the better you are as a coach. Yeah. And now, you know, while you're at Rhodes and, you know, you were there for, I think, three years, uh, <laughs> Was that originally, you know, uh, did it fit into your coaching style, coaching philosophy, or did you kind of have to tailor your, you know, because you had mentioned being passing game coordinator, did you kind of tailor your game plan to to what they did down there or how'd that work? Yeah, so when I I took over as the OC, Mm -hmm. I didn't want to change too much up on the kids. Um, I didn't think that was fair. There were there were some things that I changed that I thought could help us play faster and be more efficient. Um, but I still wanted to keep a lot of the basics of the offense kind of there um, because I didn't think it'd be fair to completely change it up for just my pleasure, you know, just for me. Yeah, um, it's still about the kids. Um, but when I was a pass game coordinator there, I worked um, with a guy named Rich DeMeo, who now is the OC at Edinburgh, a D2 school in Pennsylvania. And Rich was like, probably one of the, the best people I ever worked with in my life. I mean, he just, he was awesome. He, he was always open to new ideas. He always was respectful, but he also had a great balance of saying, you want to know what, like I'm the OC and we're not going to do that just because it doesn't fit or we have too much on our plate. And, you know, I really respected that because the way he did it was he allowed me to bring new ideas and have input, but he also showed me that there has to be balance and there has to be kind of a checks and balances to everything when you're game planning and when you're calling plays. And so 
um, you know, it was kind of a blend. It was a blend of learning how to acclimate to a new staff and a new way of doing things. And, you know, obviously a coaching style, you know, my, the, the places I've been have been different. You know, Indiana was very different than Wabash and Wabash was different than Rhodes and Rhodes was different. Yeah. Well, yeah, and we'll get in, we'll kind of get into that. Um, yeah. Uh, real question. How did, how much weight did you put on uh, in Memphis? Because when I was down there, man, it was the, literally the best barbecue I've ever had in my life. So uh, yeah, I, went down, I think I went down, I, I forget what hotel I stayed at, but I got some smoked wings one night from this place. I can't even remember the name of it, but it was the best thing I've ever eaten in my life. Yeah, food there is uh, is one of the best things. Um, it's probably one of the things I miss the most. Um, and people always think barbecue, you know, which obviously it's, it's amazing there. But man, there's all types of food there that's unbelievable because you got influences from Louisiana and Cajun culture. You've got you know, kind of St. Louis influences. You got Deep South influences. Um, you got obviously the barbecue culture. So it's. Yeah. It's a great place to live. Um, I actually gained all my weight in Indiana and uh, <laughs> luckily, luckily shredded it off. Um, yeah. I, I, need, I need the secret then because <laughs> I'm, I'm gaining all my weight in New Jersey. So there you go. <laughs> but uh, no, that's awesome. And like you said, when I was down there, man, it was beautiful. And, and just like you said, kind of the, the melting pot of, uh, of different places down there was really a good experience. So uh, fast forward a little bit. You had, you know, success at Rhodes. You get hooked up at Stevenson, which is another D3 school in Maryland, um, you know, playing in a conference like the MAC. Did you know anybody at Stevenson or how did you get hooked up with that job and how that interview process go? Yeah, um, that's probably one of the the funniest stories um, be behind my, my Columbia one. Um, literally knew no one. Um, job opened. My wife and I had been kind of looking and hoping to relocate to the East Coast. Um, that's where she was from. We were going to get married. Um, we were kind of trying to make a push to, to make that move. We thought it was a good time in our lives, you know, right before we get married. Let's move. Let's, you know, kind of start our lives together new. Um, and I'd kind of like given up on looking and had kind of just said, you know, okay, we're going to stay here at Rhodes for another year. No big deal. Mm-hmm. You know, Rhodes was still a great place. It wasn't a place I was trying to run away from. It just, you know, as a family, man, you're trying to kind of figure it out. And sure. job opened up in May, which was super late. Um, right. Emailed at Hoddle, the head coach, yeah. um, just cold emailed him, said, Hey, I'm really interested. Um, they had posted it actually as a, OC wide receivers job because the previous guy, Jesse Carell, that's what he had done. Mm-hmm. And so I sent him in the email, you know, my resume and cover letter. And I sent him some, you know, wide receiver stuff as well as some OC philosophy kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And he said, Hey, as a matter of fact, um, I'd like this to be a quarterback job. Actually, I'd like to restructure some things on the staff. Would you be comfortable with that? I was like, uh, yeah, most definitely. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so I said to my quarterback stuff immediately and he said, great, you know, make sure everything's in, um, you know, HR wise, um, which it was already, but he's like, get that done and we'll talk. And so later that night, actually we talk and he was like, I think, you know, let's get you out here. And so two, three days later, I'm out there right. the interview and it, it goes well and, um, go back and to, you know, to Memphis and, you know, I feel good about it. I get the job. And then I turned back around again and they brought me back out again um, to tie all the bows on everything with HR and coach the last two spring ball practices. Uh, well, <laughs> so my turnaround was two weeks from the day that the job opened and I applied 
to the day I started working. Wow. Uh, so a lot <laughs> of credit to Stevenson's HR department for making that happen and getting it done in two sure. years time. Cause with background checks and all that to happen that quickly, it was pretty crazy. So uh, it's, it's funny what, what schools can do when they want something to happen sometimes. Absolutely. So, uh, that's pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, Big difference, man. I mean, I coached in a Mac. Um, big difference between Rhodes and Stevenson. Talk a little bit about, you know, um, the differences in recruiting, you know, a school like Rhodes where you said it's a you're on a national scale uh, versus a, a school like Stevenson where you have a little bit more wiggle room when it comes to, you know, the academic standards and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I think, you know, a, a couple things that made recruiting at Stevenson really unique is I walked in season five of the program so they'd only had four four seasons of the program and that was what really intrigued me about the job was you know kind of creating history you know you're at a place like Rhodes that has had football for a hundred plus years um you know you you, you kind of are intrigued by that idea of hey this is a place that you can kind of build history and make history and so um, the recruiting was very different. It was much more mid-Atlantic based. Uh, it was much more kind of that two, three hour radius. Mm-hmm. And as we built the program there and got better and better, especially on the national scale, we started to get more interest in, you know, more outlier areas, you know, um, even before I left, you know, I'd gotten a kid to come from Colorado and New Hampshire and Indiana and, you know, some other states. So right. we were starting to grow, but, but it was most definitely more of a local deal. And, and the thing that I, I think, you know, was unique about, you know, the roads to, to Stevenson difference was, you know, Stevenson, we were able to recruit, you know, obviously we had a bigger net um, from an academic admission standard. Um, but I think the thing that I really found gratifying working there was that, you know, we were a much more diverse team. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, we were much more diverse than we were at Rhodes. Um, and we were diverse in different ways, not only ethnicity, but, you know, socioeconomically. Um, we had a lot of kids that, you know, were first generation um, college kids, um, kids that, you know, were on special um, type of programming through the state of Maryland. Um that, you know, were lower income, but had high academics in high school. And so they were right. in school. And what I really enjoyed about working there is I felt like that was where I finally got to take a little bit more of a step as a coach, as a mentor, and a little right. bit more of a step of, I don't want to say a father figure, but, but just to be, you know, a male figure in some guy's life. Sure. No, I, I totally, you know, I totally understand that. And I think uh, you kind of hit the nail on the head there and it's, it's a really gratifying experience when you're able to, when you're able to do that. So, yep. Um, you have some success. At, you have a successful run at Stevenson. You're there for a few years, coach. You know, I'm a Del Val guy, man. I'm going to keep it. <laughs> I'm going to keep it. I'm, uh, I'm going to keep it biased here as the as the host of the or unbiased as the host of the show. But you guys make the playoffs for the first time in 2016. Um, you got really great quarterback play. Uh, I think Dan out of Dan Williams, right? Yep. Um, talk a bit about your just your experience there with him and, and kind of your game plan and how you were able to connect with the players and kind of get everybody to uh, you know buy into what you were doing as as a new coach coming in. Yeah. So the biggest thing that you know going through the, the interview process with Ed was we really wanted to open the offense up. We really wanted to be more tempo based, more spread based. Um, you know, one of the best things that I did. Um, when I took the job was actually my first practice. I didn't go down on the field. I was in the press box watching all the kids. Mm-hmm. 
and taking notes on them and who they were and, you know, how they moved. And um, I actually came into my first practice and I moved four or five kids around, moved a kid that was playing receiver to running back, moved a tight end to receiver, uh, moved a couple kids around and kind of just bringing the mentality, Hey guys, we're going to do something new here. We're going to try something new. Um, you know, Ed literally handed me the keys to run the offense. He, he never called a play in four years. Um, the second I walked in, he said, do whatever you need to do to make this offense work. And, and so he gave me that trust and he also gave me that confidence. And I think that confidence showed to the kids that, Hey, like, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. And we're going to be diligent about it. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that that was really important. And so we were very, very personnel driven in what we did. Um, I don't think football is a very complicated game. I think it's about, you know, getting the ball, your playmaker and creating one-on-ones in space, right. uh, whether it's the run game or the pass game um, to sure. let them be successful. And so that's, that's what we did. And I talked to, you know, guys that I coached against in the Mac since I've left and I've, I've asked them, I said, Hey, like, what did you think of what we were doing? Where were our weaknesses? Where were our strengths? You know, what did you think? Cause I'm, I'm still trying to learn and get better and, you know, figure out what I did right and what I did wrong. And they always said that like, you guys weren't super complicated, but man, you guys use your personnel. You know, right. that's that to me is the key, especially at the, you know, the non-scholarship levels, you know, the sure. IVs, the D3s, like you really got to use your personnel for what it's worth. Cause you can't say, well, Hey, this year I'm going to go out and get a six foot five tight end with this scholarship. You know, yeah. you got to really hone in. And then when it came to Dan, um, you know, it's funny, like Dan and I are like friends. I mean, we're to that point. Like he, mm-hmm. you know, he coaches for the uh the Chiefs now and you right. know, we were in the Super Bowl and like I was at the Super Bowl to, to oh, watch wow. him and support, you know. And awesome. um we had an amazing relationship, you know. We got to the point where it was starting to get kind of creepy where we were on the same <laughs> wavelength and thinking right. the same things. But one of the coolest things about working with Dan was a lot of people think it's because, you know, and, and some people know this and people know his dad was the running backs coach for the uh, Philadelphia Eagles for over 20 years. You know, he grew up with football yeah, and everyone thinks, oh, well, he just had a football mind because of his dad. And, and I think that there's a part of that. But I think what really separated him was that like he just genuinely loved the process of football. Like mm-hmm. he would come in on Monday mornings at eight in the morning with his, you know, bagel and, you know, whatever for breakfast and sit there and listen to us game plan. And then he'd leave for an hour or two and go to class and grab lunch and he'd come back and I'd catch him up on anything he missed. And then he'd, you know, finish the game plan. And that, that process slowly turned into him getting involved in the game plan and making suggestions and Mm -hmm. coming up with ideas. And then we evolved that even one more step before his fifth year where he and I would then just sit down on Thursdays together at the end of the practice week and go through the situation sheet, just like you hear, you know, Sean Payton doing with Drew Brees, no other coaches around just he and I. And so we kind of developed that relationship over four years, um, which was, which was awesome and was a lot of fun. And and I really hope in my career, I'm going to have an opportunity to have that type of relationship with a player again, because, it was so fun to watch all of the success we had as a team, but, but also as his position coach and as the offensive coordinator, the success he had. Sure. And I, like I said, I, you touch on the, uh, you know, the gratification and, and stuff like that. And, and 
and changing people. And it sounds like you guys had that relationship with each other, man. And that's awesome. And uh, awesome to have a, a player that, you know, you could trust that much to, to be able to bounce those ideas off of. So that's, that's, that's pretty cool stuff, man. Uh, we're going to move forward here. I know you're in the Ivy league now, but um, I got to be honest with you, man, the hot route segment, it's been known to be tougher than the, than the Ivy league tests that go on out there. So <laughs> before we do that, I want to make sure you guys, you know, if you like what we're doing, man, make sure you follow us on Twitter at challenge underscore cast, uh, like us on Facebook, coaches challenge podcast, follow us and subscribe on all the major podcasts and platforms, Anchor, Spotify, Apple podcast. Uh, there's a bunch of them out there. Really great feedback from everybody. Uh, keep on listening, man. I appreciate all the, all the positive feedback. Coach, you ready for the hot route segment? Yeah, let's do it. Here we go. True or false, when served true authentic barbecue, the pieces of toast are unnecessary. False. I don't, I, I didn't understand what the toast, like you get served hot wings and you got a piece of toast. It doesn't make sense to me. But. Yeah, I don't, I never, <laughs> I never really used it. I never ate it. I just, I stuck to the meat. There you go. Um, this is a tough one, man. It might be the toughest hot rock question we've had. This sportswear company was founded in 1938 by Paul Lamprum and is based out of Oregon. Nike. The answer would be Columbia. Really? Yes. Wow. I just, you know, I had to throw go, a Columbia go, go. question in there. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I should have figured yeah, there was going to be I a mean, twist on that if one. You if you would have thought about it for a second, you probably would have got it. But you just jumped right <laughs> on Nike. Here we go. I heard Next. Oregon. It got me. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, fill in the blank. The quarterback who slides is blank. Protected. Good. Very smart. Number four, favorite state you've ever lived in. Ooh. That's a tough one. I'm going to say California. Okay. Is there any particular reason? Is it the weather or what? It's you could be on the beach, you can be in the mountains, you can be in the desert. You know, you got a little bit out That's yeah, that's a good point there. Uh, next question here: best concert you've ever been to? Man, now that's a tough one. Um, probably uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Uh, their last tour before Tom Petty passed away a few years ago. Um, it was my third time seeing him. And uh, it was awesome to be able to be there the last tour. Um, oh, that, that's real, pretty, that's really awesome. Pretty <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, that's, a, that's a cool story. And last question here, r- most random artist on any of your music playlists? Morris Day in the Time. I couldn't even tell you, never even heard of them. <laughs> yeah, watch you, sur- the movie, you gotta watch the movie Purple Rain with Prince <laughs> in your mouth. <laughs> Hey, you survived, Coach. I, I threw some hard ones in there, man. Usually they're not that tough, but you survived the hot route, man. That was fun. Uh, we're moving on. You took over a quarterback coach at Columbia in, in 2019. Uh, talk about, you know, what that transition was like for you going from uh, D3 Stevenson to an Ivy League, Ivy League FCS program. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't mind, I, I would like to kind of tell the story about how it all happened. Oh, and the reason why is um, to young coaches out there to understand that you just never know who's mm-hmm. who's watching you and, and what's out there. Uh, I um good friend of mine. He's now the head coach at, at Johns Hopkins. Um, Greg Kamira, he was the OC at the time, um, was supposed to speak at a Nike clinic in Pittsburgh. 
and couldn't do it um and said to the, the guy you know that was running it hey you know call up my buddy ryan he might be able to do it and so you know i kind of filled in for greg and i went and did it and uh I spoke at the clinic and there was a high school coach from upstate New York who put this tweet up about me, you know, that I had done a nice job basically, um, over the weekend. And so a bunch of my coaching buddies are, you know, retweeting and liking it and commenting Mm -hmm. and how, you know, the Twitter algorithms work, you know, your mutual followers and everything like that show up on your timeline. And so a bunch of Columbia coaches, you know, a couple guys in the staff, saw the tweet and so they had written my name down as a guy that hey you know maybe we reach out to this guy about coming and clinicking with us and talking ball well a couple days later their quarterback coach leaves and my name just happened to be in their mind so then they start calling these connections that we have and everyone's like oh you got to talk to me you got to talk to them you know whatever and so out of nowhere a Greg calls me, Kamira from from Hopkins. He said, "Hey, what, what job did you apply to at Columbia?" And I go, "I don't know what the heck you're talking about." <laughs> um, and he was like, "All right." He was like, "Well, let me do some digging because I had someone reach out to me." I'm like, "Okay." And so, anyways, the next morning, you know, Coach Fabish, uh, Mark Fabish, our OC here, he reaches out to me and says, "You know, hey, can we talk?" And so we talk on the phone and tells me there's a quarterback job open and we'd be interested, you know, interviewing you and talking with you more and all that. And so that's about eight in the morning. By about 10, 30, 11 in the morning, I'm on the phone with Coach Bagnoli. Mm-hmm. Uh, by about 12:30 in the afternoon, I have a train ticket bought and ready for me to go interview the following Monday. So now I've got about two and a half days to get ready. Right. <laughs> Um, and the reason why I bring it up and it, it, it just, you just never know, you never yeah. know whether it's social media or who, you know, and the relationships you create in this business that, that people are going to help you. You know, there are so many yeah. people that reached out and helped me in that position and, and any, and they all did it because they knew from the day I started working in Indiana, I had said, I wanted to work in the Ivy and oh, I yeah. made that very clear to people. I told people. I mean, I probably applied somewhere around 30 Ivy jobs before getting this job. Um, yeah, that's so, impressive. Yeah. So I just, it's, a, it's, it's a, that's a, it's a great story. And like you said, it, you know, lesson be told to, to anybody who's listening out there, man, you never know who's watching and who's listening and, and who's going to see it. So, yeah. So and I guess, the inter- yeah, sure. And the, I guess the interview goes pretty well. You get the train ticket, you go up there yeah. to New York and, and uh, the rest is kind of history, I guess. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. So yet again, another two week turnaround, basically, um, because uh, I started the job on a Monday and spring ball started on Tuesday. Um, so I had to have a quick turnaround. And, um, you know, that was the when you ask about the transition, you know, obviously it was a quick one. You know, I literally was meeting my quarterbacks for the first time on the practice field. Um you know, face to face. So that was interesting. Yeah. And yeah, that is um, interesting. Especially <laughs> um, at that level, man. So. Oh, no doubt. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the transition was good, you know, um, I'm very fortunate. I get to work for, you know, a man, Al Bagnoli, who, I mean, he's the winningest coach in college football. He's won more games than, you know, anyone at any level. He's got 14 mm-hmm. more wins than Nick Saban. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, to, to work for someone like that, someone who's been in this league for over 25 years, you know, minus coronavirus, he's seen it all, you know? Yeah, no. um, and, and so, you know, he, he did everything in his power to make my transition as smooth as possible. You know, we moved recruiting territories around amongst the staff to, 
you know, maximize, you know, me being a new guy and, and also our receivers coach was new as well and put us in areas where we could be successful. Um, you know, and I would say recruiting was the, was the hardest transition and the biggest transition because, you know, you're, you're jumping two levels. And so therefore you're, you're, you're jumping timelines are just outrageously different. So I was very behind um, when I got hired and that, you know, just the way it was. And so I finally now feel like I'm where I need to be, you know, almost yeah. a year later. Um, sure. And you had mentioned that you, you know, you're, you know, you, early you knew you wanted to coach in the Ivy league. Just talk about, you know, with the Ivy league having such a rich history of foot and football tradition, like, just talk about what that's like to be able to, to coach in that realm and to, to prepare week in and week out because it, it really is, you know, any given Saturday uh, in the Ivy League. So, yeah, it's, you know, it, I think the reason why I always wanted to coach in it was exactly what you said. It's the tradition. Um, it's kind of what I spoke about at Rhodes, you know, these highly academic and athletically motivated kids, you know, mm-hmm. the, the best of the best. Um, you know, I mean, we're literally looking for division one athletes with division one academics, you know, and, and these kids are, are phenomenal. I mean, the kids that we work with, like, we're so spoiled, like these, these dudes, like they get it and, and they're going to be leaders of our world and business and politics and medicine. And it's pretty impressive. And, um, the thing that, you know, is really interesting about this league is the history is unbelievable. I mean, it's the origination of football. I mean, Princeton and Rutgers played 150 years ago. Um, The next year, Columbia added football, you know, Mm -hmm. so we have the second oldest program in the country. And so you talk about just the the tradition and every stadium you go to, there's so much tradition. There's so much, you know, that's happened at these universities from an academic standpoint, from an athletic standpoint. Um, It's really cool. You know, when I sit in an athletic department meeting, you know, I'm hearing about our swimmers that are preparing for the Olympics and, you know, answers and it's just, it's unbelievable. But, um, you know, the tradition is, is really special. Um, you know, the type of kid that you're recruiting is really special. Um, and then, you know, like you said, week in and week out, anyone can win, you know, we're, we're all literally recruiting the same kids, you know, it's like you play yourself almost every week. Um, you know, and so you're, you're trying to maximize, you know, again, your talent, your personnel um because everyone's got their little differences um and there's some great coaching in this league too i mean there is really good coaching in this league yes it's it's a fun experience for sure yeah definitely and you know uh you touched on it man you're literally sitting you're you're coaching especially in the qb room you're coaching some of the smartest kids in america honestly and what are some of the things you know you walk into your quarterback room uh you're meeting with them what are some things that you expect out of the QB position as a coach and the guys that play for you? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think that like anything, you're always going to be looking for certain intangibles, whether mental, you know, um, and physical. I mean, obviously we're, we're recruiting division one quarterbacks. We're looking for them to be able to make certain types of throws and have certain type of pocket movements and ability. Um, but when it gets down to those intangibles, you know, you're looking for a winner, you know, you, you really are, you know, you're looking for a kid and, and you like that he's won in high school, but you also have to understand that, you know, there's been a lot of great quarterbacks in history that have won at the high levels of college and pro that might not have been winners in high school for whatever reason. And so you're looking for those intangibles. Can they lead, you know, are they motivated? Um, you know, 
one of the things I enjoy about our guys is, you know, they're, they're always taking notes, you know, even, even now, you know, we're, we've been in this zoom, you know, world basically um, since mid March. And like, Mm -hmm. we still meet, you know, two, three times a week and watch film and, and we're watching us, we're watching opponents, we're watching, um, you know, other teams to get ideas. Like, you know, we're watching, you know, NFL film or, Mm -hmm. you know, college film at like, you know, the higher levels, the FBS levels. And so what I love about these guys, they're always looking for that edge. They're motivated for that edge, which is cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And, um, you know, last question here, we'll wrap it up. Uh, And you had touched on it, man. It's been a, it's been a tough year for, for a lot of people, Uh, a lot of your colleagues, a lot of your former players canceling seasons left and right. Um, You know, what's your message to these guys to kind of keep them motivated and, and to, and to keep, you know, moving forward. And it's a little bit different for you guys. I maybe because there's hope that you play in the spring, but, um, you know, just talk a little bit about, uh, you know, everything that's going on and kind of what's the motivate motivating factor for, for you and, and for the guys that, you know, I think the biggest thing is that, you know, and we've gone through this in stages, you know, the first stage we lost, we lost spring ball. Right. And so then it was okay. Well, what can we do to prepare in the spring to replace that spring ball? And so you, you really were driving home with the kids and, and with coaches is, Hey, like it's a level playing field. Everyone's got to put their effort into it. If you don't put effort in, you're going to be behind. It's all about your personal investment, you know, to the team. And then it kind of became, you know, summer. What were you going to do to have that, you know, to keep pushing that along as we were preparing for a fall season. And so we were really focused and the advice we were giving our kids was, Hey, like everyone is trying to figure out how to lift. Everyone's trying to figure out how to throw. Everyone's trying to figure out how to get all these things done. Those that are willing to invest the time and effort to do it at the highest level that they can are going to be the ones that are going to see the positive results on the, on the back end. And so what it really gets down to is control with what you can control. You know, I say it all the time in our room, control our controllables. Like there are things we can't control. We can't control the numbers of coronavirus cases across the country. We can't, we can do our part to help in it, but like what we can control is how we prepare and we will play football again. It, it, you know, we hope it's in the spring and if it's not in the spring, then it's going to be the next fall. And we will, we will play like, football will come back. There's a hundred percent chance that's going to happen. And so all we can control is what's put in front of us right now. And so, you know, when we found out that we weren't going to have a fall season anymore, literally the next night we were on a quarterback film meeting because we can control that. You know, a lot of people might say, you want to, let's take the week off. Let's, you know, live what you know, like we can control that we can still get better. You know, we can do those things and we, you know, we found out our freshmen and sophomores aren't going to be able to, you know, be on campus this fall like we hope they would. It's the same thing. We jumped right into a meeting, you know, because yet again, those are the things that we can we can still kind of control and we can still have an effect on. And I think when we focus on those things, we don't worry about the other things. As yeah, much. definitely. And I think, you know, that's a good point, too. You kind of, you know, stay active, stay involved. Uh, do what you can do and it kind of takes your mind a little bit off of you know everything else that's going on mm-hmm. uh, control what you can control it's a great message coach uh, it's been great having you on uh, I learned a lot from you I hope you enjoyed your time here um, this is coach Ryan Larson from Columbia University quarterbacks coach man I appreciate you coming on the show today 
Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Without a doubt. That's, uh, that'll wrap up another episode of A Coach's Challenge, man. Stories told by coaches, but heard by everyone. Mm-hmm.